Good morning, church. I'm here to give us the Bible reading, and Bible reading will come from Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. So Nehemiah's book uh, about Nehemiah, and uh, he's the, a man who's uh, leading the Jewish people in the rebuilding of uh, Jerusalem's wall. And uh, as we're going to read, uh, he encounters some opposition. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they, fin will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in, our, in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we, re, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near, near them came and told us ten times over, Where, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked after I, looked over thing, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers, post, the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And the other builders wore, wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the, man, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn 
till the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, let every man and his helper stay in Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is God's word. Thanks, Ray. Um, just a warm welcome to all of you today. My name's uh, Iggy. I'm one of the pastors here at CP Church, and especially if you're joining us uh, for the baptism of Jayama today. Uh, what a wonderful occasion. Thank you for joining us. It's such a great day that we get to celebrate together. Uh, we get to come together on a Sunday in the name of Jesus Christ, and I hope that today will be encouraging for you. Now, the question that you talked about before, an obs- a goal that you've had, an obstacle that you know, maybe you've reached some opposition maybe along the way. Let me share with you one of my stories. And one of the greatest uh, parts of my life that I experience opposition is, is in a very simple activity that I do on a regular basis, but it's really hard, okay? It's very hard. I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to tell you what it is. It's shopping at Bella's Fruit Market. Has <laughs> anyone, anyone shopped at Bella's Fruit Market before? Hands up, hands up. Uh, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge, this place. The aisles are designed for probably half a person, um, so it, they're so small because they're trying to cram as much fruit and veggies in as possible. They even have like miniature-sized trolleys in that place to get through, but the trolleys take up the whole aisle. And everywhere you go, my goal is simple. I just want an apple or something like that, and I'm just trying to get the counter. It's always when I'm trying to get, get in really quick too, you know, in and out, uh, that I face a lot of opponents in my way. Firstly, there's the, um, the, the aunties who sit there and go through every single apple. Choosing, choosing, I see James shaking his head, he's like, you've experienced this, brother, I see this. <laughs> and, they, and they stand there and they go through every single piece of fruit, trying to find the best piece of fruit, oblivious to the fact that there's a big lineup in their way. And the next, the next opponent usually is uh, the fruit shop worker with the massive trolley. I don't know how they get that trolley into the aisle, and they don't care that you're trying to get through because they've been there for 24 hours, and they are so tired, they're just trying to do their thing. And then there's the shoppers that try and squeeze past you. You know, those ones, they, they just try and squeeze past you. Uh, too many times, more than I'd care to remember, I've been sandwiched between the warm bodies of strangers as I'm just trying to get an apple. It's, it's, it's hard stuff. Sometimes shopping at Bella's Fruit Market, lots of opponents. It's a horrible experience. Lots of opponents, lots of obstacles to me reaching my goals. Just a lighthearted illustration to say that life is like that sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> there's lots of opponents lots of obstacles. Sometimes we're trying to get to a goal in our life, but it's harder than we would like it to be. We have goals we want to hit, health goals, family goals, career goals, relationship goals. We, we have things that we desire, things that we want, but there's opposition. Sometimes there's just too much. So how can we keep pressing on when we face hard times, when opposition hits us in the face, when opponents come against us? I want to give you today some insight from God's Word into what this looks like for the Christian to actually persevere and overcome opposition that comes to us. If, if you're here today and you aren't a Christian, it's so, I'm so glad that you're here with us today uh, because I hope that you'll see uh, for your friend, uh, if you're here for Jaima or your friend or family member, you know, what she believes in and what it means for her to live out her faith, but I hope it'll give you an insight into how important it is actually the Christian faith actually is, why it actually matters so much. And we're going to go to our first point, the need for restoration. As we heard from Ray before today, we are looking at the story 
uh, the true historical account of a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah lived uh, in 445 BC. He was cupbearer to the king of Persia at the time, Artaxerxes was his name, the king of Persia. And this was a very important job, the cupbearer. He was very close to the king. He served the king wine. He made sure the wine was safe. Uh, so he had a lot of access to the king. But Nehemiah, actually, he wasn't a Persian. He was a Jew. He was one of God's people. But at the time, I'll show you a map. At the time, Persia was the superpower of the day. You can see the Persian Empire in red. They had taken, they were in control of the entire area. And Susa, that point there, that's where Nehemiah and the king were. Um, and the Jewish people were actually under the rule of the Persians, which is why Nehemiah is serving the Persian king. But slowly, the Jewish people were being allowed back to their capital, Jerusalem. They're slowly being allowed back. We saw that in the past weeks. We've heard of a priest called Ezra going back to establish the temple and worship back in Jerusalem. The Jews are slowly being allowed to rebuild their city. And it's been 13 years since Ezra has actually returned to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gets a message. He gets a message from the city. And he asks, and this is what the message says. You can see it up on the screen. They said to me, Nehemiah asked, what's going on? They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears this news. Things aren't going well and he is devastated. Did you notice? He's devastated. He weeps. He mourns, he doesn't eat for days. He's absolutely devastated at what's going on. Why is it affecting him so much? Well, the fact that Jerusalem doesn't have any walls, no gates, um, it's very significant, actually, uh, for a very base reason that they needed safety. They were surrounded by enemies, historic enemies, enemies that they had had for centuries, all around them, waiting to attack. They were not liked at that point. So there was a base level of safety that was needed, and with no walls, they were vulnerable to the enemies around them. But I think even more so, what was important, what was significant for Nehemiah, why he wept, was the matter of honor. The matter of honor. Um, have a look at verse 3 again. It says this, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. That could be in a whole bunch of things, probably the enemies as well. But do you see that last word? And disgrace. Disgrace. I think this is what Nehemiah is broken over. This is what he's devastated over more than anything. Because think about this. The Jews, they were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be the blessed people of God. That, uh, everything, that, that was, and Jerusalem was supposed to be the crowning jewel of the kingdom. This is where God's prosperity and blessing should be seen by all. These, these, this is supposed to be the royal family here. This represented God's blessings upon them. And what was the state of the city? It was lying in ruins. They had been through multiple wars. The Babylonians had come and smashed the entire city, ransacked the temple, destroyed everything. Right now, as they walk through the city, what would they see? If you were there in Jerusalem at the time, they would see uh, the city in ruins, rubble lying all over the place, broken pieces of stone and wood, shattered, lying all over the streets. You'd see the gates of the city, the grand gates, lying in a broken, burnt heap, smoldering devastated by the fire of war. This shouldn't be the case for God's chosen people, his blessed people. It would be like the royal family, the English royal family living in a 
run-down tin shed with no running water or electricity. It's, what a disgrace. It's a disgrace for the people of God, but more importantly, it's a disgrace for God. A disgrace for God. I think what Nehemiah is being grieved over here, what he's devastated about is that God is not being honored. God is not being given the glory that he deserves. They should, people should be praising God, giving him honor, saying what a great God he is. Instead, the enemies are looking at the city and they are laughing. Look at this city. Look at their God. You know what? This motivates Nehemiah. He needs to do something about this. He says this later on to some of his fellow Jews in the city. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. This is a man motivated by the glory of God. And I think we can learn a few things from Nehemiah here as we just pause for a second. I wonder how we feel about the glory and honor of God. I'm talking to all those who believe in Jesus today, who follow him. I wonder if we have a passion for God's glory like Nehemiah does. That when we hear of something happening to God's people, when we hear of his church, when we hear of his name being dragged through the mud, that it breaks our heart. That we have a passion that actually grips us. Do you long for God's glory like Nehemiah does? Are you grieved when Christians are persecuted, when you hear another story of Christians overseas being killed because of their faith? Are you grieved when Christians are attacked in the media? Are you grieved when your friends speak badly of God, use his name in vain, speak badly of his values, the faith? It should bring us tears, it should. Nehemiah, he longs for God's honor. But I think... What I love is that he also does something about it. He prays passionately to God. He prays passionately to God. God, please let me do something about this. And God works through his prayers. Uh, What happens next, I'll give you a quick summary, is that uh, Nehemiah actually, um, he's serving the king, Artaxerxes is serving him some wine, and the king actually notices something's wrong. He sees Nehemiah is very sad, and he asks him, what's wrong? Um, And Nehemiah says, uh, tells him the story. My city's in ruins. And he asks, can I please go back and do something about this? Now, that's a pretty good boss. I love that. Maybe you can try that on Monday. Go in, look really sad. See, see what happens. Um, but the king actually grants him permission to go back home. And not only that, he provides him everything that he needs. Wood, stone, all the immense resources, gold. He even gives him a small army to go back to protect him on the way. And when you think about it, this is a miracle. I mean, why would the king do this? This is the king of Persia, the superpower nation of the world. Why would he care about some backwards little nation and their city and the state things are in? Why would he has actually no reason to care, to do something. But just like the Persian kings before him, who let Zerubbabel and Ezra go back to rebuild the temple, God worked his plan even through non-believing foreign kings. And I think this is here to just keep reminding us about something as we go through the historic account of Israel, that God is never out of control, that God is the ultimate king. No matter how powerful the king is at the time, no matter how under the thumb Israel seems to be, God is still the king. He is still sovereign. He's in control, and he has a plan for his people, and he's going to make it happen. Nehemiah knows this, 
and he's very confident as he talks to the Jews. Nehemiah 2, verse 18, says this. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. There's God's sovereignty and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So the work begins. Let's build, let's go. But it's not all smooth sailing. We're at our next point. Get ready for opposition. Let me read to you from Nehemiah 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gershom the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Straight away, the enemies come. All these enemies from, these are representing all the surrounding nations around them, all right? They come to oppose them. They, th- these are the prominent leaders from the surrounding powers. But Nehemiah, he ignores them. He keeps building. The walls are slowly patched up. The gates are repaired. But the opposition continues. And it comes in the form of more taunting. Have a look at Nehemiah 4, verse 1. We heard it read before. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Sorry, am I at the right verse? Sorry, I haven't done the screen. (laughs) Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. Now, here's some quality trash talking right here, isn't it? It's pretty good. But it doesn't discourage the Jews. They press on. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for all the people worked with all their heart. I love that, right? They worked with all their heart even as people are trying to bring them down with hateful words. My friends, the opposition doesn't stop there. It steps up. Next slide, please, Gary. Sorry, my clicker's not working. Yeah. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonite, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Next slide, please. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Next slide. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. And the final verse here. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now, friends, I want you to get a feel for the gravity of this situation. Think about this. Did you see what just happened? It's not just a war of words anymore. The enemies are coming to kill. And the Jews, they're getting discouraged. I mean, think about the anxiety. They're already tired. They're trying to rebuild an entire city, right, with heavy stones. They don't have any machinery. They're already dead tired. And then all around them, the enemies are massing, ready to attack. There's great anxiety. At any moment, they could be killed. They actually started building with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other because they had to be ready to defend themselves at any time. And friends, I want to pause here and tell you something. This is symbolic of something that is true of the Christian life. If you serve God, you will be opposed. If you serve God, you will be opposed. It's all good now, Hayden, sorry. 
Yeah. <laughs> and this is true today more than it's ever been. And let me tell you something. Um, for Christians, in the past, Christians were seen as the good guys. Did you notice that? Did you, I, I don't know if you know that. In the past, Christians were seen as the good guys. Um, we were seen as the people contributing and helping society. Because you know what Christians did? They actually came, they built the hospitals. They built the schools. They set up the charities. They established foundations for society. And people appreciated that. They saw that that was good. But times changed and times have moved on. And what actually happened was that Christians became neutral. Yeah, um, with the sort of postmodern sort of thinking, it became a case of uh, Christians, you can believe what you believe, that's fine, but I'll believe what I believe, as long as we leave each other alone, that's all right, we don't really mind too much. But we're not there anymore, we've actually moved to the other side. And you know what Christians are now? Christians are the bad guys. Christians are the bad guys. I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever Christians are reported in the media, uh, what sort of stories are they? They're negative stories, nine times out of ten. And the battleground really, or the place where we're really hit is the biblical views of gender and sexuality. God's views, they're seen as evil, bigoted, hateful, and thus so are we. And God's name is disgraced and hated upon. And it's getting worse day by day. For those of us who follow Jesus, I want you to know the reality of what you're signing up for. You will be opposed. Jaima, you're getting baptized today. I need you to know this. The Christian life is hard, and I think you realize this. People will oppose you. But in the face of opposition, you can stand firm and look at how Nehemiah encourages the Jews. 4 verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is... Great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not because you are strong, but because your God is. Don't be afraid because your God is great and awesome. And this isn't just awesome, like, oh, awesome, that's a good thing. This is all inspiring awesome. The great and mighty, powerful God. Remember the Lord who is good and great and awesome, and fight trusting in Him, not in your own strength. You know what happened in just 52 days? 52 days, answer, under constant threat of being killed. This is a map of the city. This is how big the, map, the city is. 52 days, God's people finished the walls, rebuilt the gates, secured the city, was under constant attack from enemies. What a miracle. Not leaning on their own strength, but depending on their God, who is great and awesome. And this is the very same God who promises to keep us safe as well, no matter the opposition. What our final point, our unshakable home. Friends, those of us who follow Jesus today, God's got work for us to do. He's got work for us to do. Uh, for the Jews back then, it was to rebuild the walls of the city. And for us today, do you know what it is? It's to build the kingdom of God, to bring more and more people into the heavenly kingdom, to build the spiritual building, the city, that God has got for us. And the thing is that when you do God's work, as we saw, you will be opposed. That's the same for us and the Jews, but the difference for us today is this. The Jews were investing in something and building something that was very temporary, something that didn't last. But when we build the heavenly kingdom of God, we are building something that will last for eternity. Eternity, forever. Our hope in the face of opposition is this. It's not that times will be nice. It's not that times will be easy. It's not that times 
will be really enjoyable, but that we have a hope that's bigger than this world. The hope of a heavenly kingdom that we aren't only building, but that we're going to. The hope of a kingdom where God is preparing a home, a place for every single one of us who trust in him. And nothing will ever, ever, ever take that away. Not because we are strong, but because our God is the one who will make sure we get there. That is our hope. That is our assurance. Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We have a kingdom that will not be shaken. This is our hope, no matter what the situation. Many centuries after Nehemiah, our great and awesome God, he stepped into this world as a man, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, when we talk about opposition, Jesus was opposed more than anyone in this world. He was spat on, he was taunted, he was trash-talked, he was hated upon, he, his enemies even nailed him to a cross. But do you know what? In the moment of greatest opposition, do you know what happened? Came the moment of greatest victory. Because that is what secures for us, his people, a heavenly home that will never, ever fade. On the cross, our sins were forgiven, our debts were paid for, and through Jesus' resurrection, new life is given. Our eternal home, eternal life is granted. And Jesus shows that even death itself cannot hold him down. Friends, we can be forgiven. We can come close to God. We can call him our Father. And we have a place secured for us in heaven, the hope of heaven. And this is the hope that Jaima is declaring today, which is why we're, this is the best weekend of the year. When we hear about the hope of Jesus Christ in people's life. As we finish, let me say something to you. If you're, especially if you're new here, first time with us today, and the kids are coming in, say hello to kids, everyone. Hi, kids. Thanks for joining us. They're here to watch Jaima too. They're very excited today. But let me finish by just talking to everyone here today, especially if you're new, maybe you're not yet a believer in Jesus. Um, you might be here today and you're facing difficulties maybe in the workplace, the, your uni, maybe even your, in your home. And I can't guarantee you that things are going to get better in this world. I can't guarantee you that your marriage will be perfect, that your career will be amazing, that your relationships will be really peaceful and loving. But what I can guarantee you is this, that you can have a heavenly home that will never, ever fade if you trust in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And let me tell you, that is better than anything this world can ever offer you. Fence. If you'd like to find out more, please fill out one of our Connect cards. You would have got one at the door. Talk to us. We'd love to help you. Let me finish with this verse from Jesus, a final assurance. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that in Christ all things in this world are overcome, that death and sin itself are defeated, and that we can have hope, hope that never fades, the hope of the eternal heavenly home that will never be shaken. And we thank you so much that we get to celebrate that today through our baptism. All honor and glory and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to invite... Some are very special to stage now to give their testimony. Please give a warm welcome to Jayama. In the light of creation.
Abigail to read for us from Nehemiah chapter 4, and after that, we're going to hear uh, from Pastor Iggy. So, yeah, I um, just want to add my warm welcome to um, yeah, everyone who's joining us here today at the 10 30 service, um, especially if it's your first time or you're visiting uh, to watch one of the baptism candidates. Um, yeah, very warm welcome to you. Um, my name is Abigail, and I'll be reading the Bible for us today. Um, uh, today's Bible reading is from Nehemiah chapter 4. And if you don't have a paper copy of a Bible and you would like one, then do raise your hand and one of our host team will get to you. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is always true. Thank you that you um, are always faithful. Um, I pray that you would help us, Lord, um, as we read your word, um, as we see what you have to say to us. Lord, give us soft hearts and please help us to see your character, Lord, um, and your sovereignty. And I pray this please in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Sam Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Verse 7. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot build the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, 
shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders brought his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding the spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is God's word. Thanks, Abby. Uh, warm welcome to you. Sorry, hurt your ears. A warm welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time, especially today. You're here for uh, the baptism of Clement or Daniel. It's fantastic that you can join us, and we hope that you're, you have a time where you're encouraged today. Yeah. Is this still ringing a bit for you guys? Yeah, is it okay? Sorry. <clears throat> now, the conversation that you guys had before about a goal that you wanted to reach, an opposition, maybe your face, maybe opponents on the way, um, I wonder what you talked about. Well, I want to share with you one activity that I undertake on a regular basis, a goal that I try to reach that is constantly being opposed. And let me share with you, it's going uh, fruit shopping at Bella's Fruit Market. Has anyone ever been there before? Hands up if you've been to Bella's Fruit Market. Now, this place, it's a wonderful place of discount fruit and vegetables, but it's also one of the worst designed places in the world. <laughs> and the aisles are probably the size of half a human being because uh, they're trying to cram as much produce in as they can. So it's very hard to navigate. I see. Lots of nods around, you guys know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and on top of that, uh, there just seems to be many opponents to you achieving your goal of buying a bag of apples and getting to the counter. It always happens when you try and get in and out as fast as you can. The first opponent that you may encounter in Bella's is the, um, is the uh, auntie who likes to sort through every single apple before she finds the perfect apple um, and doesn't care that you're trying to get through the, the wave. They'll just slowly sort out each and every one inspect every surface while there's a big lineup coming behind them. Uh, the next opponent you might face in Bella's is the fruit shop worker with their massively oversized trolley that takes up the entire aisle. And they don't care, they don't even, the, you don't exist to them because they've been there for 24 hours, they're tired, um, and they won't let you through either. And there's also the strangers that try and squeeze past you, they always try and squeeze past you, so more times than I'd like to remember, I've been sandwiched between the warm bodies of strangers as they've been trying to get through, it's not a pleasant experience. It's so hard just to reach the simple goal of getting some fresh fruit and veggies. There's a lot of obstacles, there's a lot of opponents. And friends, life is like that for us sometimes, isn't it? We have goals that we wanna reach. They seem like, yes, we'll just go for that goal, we're gonna reach that goal, but there's so many obstacles, it's so hard. You might be here today and you've got goals, uh, maybe they're career goals, Maybe they're uh, life goals, work goals, study goals. Maybe they're relationship goals. That's really important for us, isn't it? Relationships. And as we try and strive for those goals, let me tell you, life will bring us much opposition. Life will bring us many obstacles. And the question is, how will we overcome those obstacles? What will we do about that opposition? 
I'm going to give you insight today from the book of Nehemiah into what that looks like for the, the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to persevere, to overcome the opponents and the obstacles that life throws us? And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, it's so good that you're here with us today. And I hope that today will show you what um, the Christian life is about and maybe your friend or family member that you're here to support, what they believe in and why this really matters. So I hope it's encouraging for you today. So keep your Bibles open. We're at our first point, which is the need for restoration. Today, we're looking into the historical account of a man named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah lived in 445 BC, and his job was to be the cupbearer to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. Now, the cupbearer was a very important official role. It meant that he served the king wine, and he also made sure that wine was safe. So this was a very important position. He had a lot of access to the king. Um, And at this time, what actually was going on in the world scene was that Persia... The nation of Persia was the superpower of the day. You can see the extent of the Persian Empire across the ancient Near East. It's incredible, isn't it? And where Nehemiah was at the moment was Susa. Um, That's the place where the king was. And he wasn't actually a Persian. He was a Jew, one of God's people. And the reason he was serving the king was that uh, the the Persian Empire had overtaken Israel. The Jews were under their control. Everyone was under their control. But what had happened recently was that the Jewish people had been slowly allowed to go back to Jerusalem, their capital city, slowly allowed to start rebuilding, slowly allowed to restore their city. We saw in the past weeks, uh, we heard of a man called Ezra, who was a priest, and he went back to help rebuild the temple, establish worship back in uh, Jerusalem again. And it's been 13 years since Ezra's returned. So how's things going? Nehemiah gets a message from Jerusalem. Some people come along and he asks them, how's things going? And here's the reply, Nehemiah 1, verse 3. I'll put it up on the screen. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah hears the news, and he's devastated. He is devastated. He mourns. He doesn't eat. He's weeping. He's in tears. Why is he so upset? Why is he so upset? The fact that the walls and the gates of Jerusalem are broken are hugely significant. I'll tell you why. Um, At a base level, number one is that uh, they were surrounded by enemies. Yeah? They're actually surrounded by enemies all around them, historic enemies, enemies they've had for centuries, Uh, enemy nations who will love nothing more than to destroy Israel to bring the Jewish people down. So without walls and without gates, they're very vulnerable. They're in trouble. That's just a basic protection reason. But I think there's something even more significant here. And I think the more important thing is that the walls of Jerusalem being broken down mean something about the honor of God, the honor of God. Have a look at verse 3 again. Look at what it says. Those who survived the exile are back in the promise are in great trouble and disgrace disgrace. More than anything, I think this is what Nehemiah is broken over. He is absolutely devastated about this. Think about this. The Jewish people, Israel, this nation, um, historic nation, they're supposed to be the chosen people of God, which means that they're supposed to be blessed by God, aren't they? They're supposed to be a nation that's the pinnacle of all nations, that people should look at them and go, wow, How amazing that these people are blessed by God. And Jerusalem is supposed to be the crowning jewel in that kingdom, that empire. Yeah, it's supposed to be the place where prosperity and blessing are seen, the 
the most clearly. But that's not the case right now. That's not the case. What, what's happening in the city? If you were there, this is what you'd see as you're walking around the city, you'd see the city in ruins. Because the Babylonian Empire had come and completely smashed the city beforehand. You'd see that the walls are broken down all over the streets. There's broken rubble, shards of wood, broken planks everywhere. It's a complete mess. The gates, they're lying in a smoldering heap, burnt by the fires of war. The place is devastated. It's like, think about this, it's like being part of the royal family. Can you imagine the royal family in England? And they're living in a run-down little tin shed with no electricity or water. There's holes in the roof. There's rubbish everywhere. And that's where they're living, right? It's not right. This, this is a disgrace. It's a disgrace to God's people, but more importantly, it's a disgrace to God. It's a disgrace to God. I think what Nehemiah is actually grieved about is the fact that God is not being glorified, right? They, they should be looking at Jerusalem, they should be looking at Israel and going, wow, look at what an amazing city it is. But instead, they're looking and they're laughing. The surrounding nations are laughing and going, look at, look at your city. <laughs> you guys are a joke. You know what? This motivates Nehemiah. He can't sit there and just do nothing. He needs to do something about this. He says this later to some of his fellow Jews in Nehemiah 2 verse 17. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. You see, there's that word again. This is what's motivating Nehemiah. We want to get out of disgrace. We want God to be honored. Let's rebuild. And I think we can learn something from Nehemiah here. His longing for God's glory, his passion for God's glory. I wonder, as I read this, I was quite struck. Is this what grips my heart? You know, he has a passion for God's glory that when God's name is not glorified, it breaks him down into tears. Is that us? When we see Christians, uh, the name of Christ being dragged through the mud, when Christians are persecuted, we hear about that, when media, the media takes down Christians, when the church is maligned, how, how do we, it should bring us to tears. Nehemiah longs for God's honor. He longs for it. That's a challenge for us, but Here's the thing, he also does something about it. He prays passionately to God. That's a huge theme of Nehemiah. Uh, he prays passionately all the time to God that he may go back and actually help and God answers and works through his prayer. One day while he's in the courts, he's with the king and he's serving the king wine and um, the king actually notices that Nehemiah is very sad. He says, what's wrong? You know, you look really sad. Uh, Nehemiah tells him, my city's in ruins. I wonder, would you let me go back to help repair the city? Would you let me go back? And the king, guess what? He grants him permission. Now, I don't know if this is what your workplace is like. Um, maybe you can try it on Monday. If you look very sad at work, you might get a few days off. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a good boss. The king is actually very, very kind, isn't he? Incredibly kind. He not only allows Nehemiah to go back, he sends him with as many resources as he needs. Planks, all the wood, uh, the finest wood, all the stones he needs to construct, workers, tools. Uh, he even sends a small army with Nehemiah to protect him along the way. And when you think about this, why would, why would the king of Persia care? Why is he letting Nehemiah go in the first place? He's losing his cupbearer. But why is he giving all these resources to this little backward nation, this nothing nation that they conquered, 
you know, and they're ruling over, why would he even help? Well, I think this is a theme of this book as well as Ezra, who's, you know, combined packaged these books. Uh, because we saw in the past too, the kings of Persia um, before him, two kings that allowed Zerubbabel and Ezra to go back home, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. Why would they do that? No reason. And here we see Artaxerxes letting Nehemiah go back. Why, why would he do it? It reminds us of something. That no matter how great the king is, this is a king of the greatest empire of the time. You saw how big it was. You saw how powerful. No matter how powerful the kings are, they aren't ultimately the king. God is. God is sovereign. God is in control. He's working behind the scenes, even through these powerful kings, to work his plan out. And his plans will come to be because he is the true king. And this is what Nehemiah knows as he talks to the Jews in Jerusalem. Look at this. Nehemiah 2, verse 18. This is when he's gone back. He's having a chat to the Jews. He says this, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, the hand of God on me, and what the king had said to me. He knows this is coming from God. And here's how the Jews reply. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. How good's that? They hear, God's got a plan. The Jews say, let's do it. Let's rebuild the city. So the work begins, but it's not all smooth sailing. Here's our next point. Get ready for opposition. Nehemiah 2.19 gives a picture here. When Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gershom the Arab heard about it, they, ridiculed, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? As soon as Nehemiah goes back, a whole bunch of leaders from all the surrounding nations, they represent all the nations around, they come and they start taunting him. They start attacking him. But Nehemiah ignores him. The building gets underway. Walls are slowly patched up. Gates are repaired. But the opposition continues. And it comes in the form of more taunting. Nehemiah 4 verse 1, which we heard read before. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these, those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at the side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, the enemies come, and they start taunting, and there's some quality trash talking going on. Did you see that there? Even a fox on your wall is going to break it down. But it doesn't discourage the Jews. As we saw, they press on. And I love that last line, the people worked with all of their heart, all of their heart, even as people are coming and attacking them. with. And we might say, oh, this is nothing, but I think we all know how powerful words are, how much they can discourage us, how much they can pull us down. Maybe in your workplace, you might experience this, you know, for being a Christian or just even as a person, people being against you, it is hugely hurtful, painful, discouraging, very, very hard. Yet the Jews, they press on. But this is where the opposition really steps up. It's really getting serious. Verse 7. When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. 
They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And the mood has changed, hasn't it? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the Jewish people there at that time? They're living in fear. Wherever we turn, they're going to attack us. Your enemies, they have enemies literally there saying, we are coming to kill you. They're ready to murder. It gets so bad that as they're building, what happens is they have to carry a spear in one hand and a tool in the other hand, ready to fight at any moment. Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine what's going on in people's hearts? They're getting discouraged. They're ready to give up. They're ready to give up. And friends, I want to pause here and um, talk about something. This is illustrating a point for us as well as for the Jews back then. If you serve God, you will be opposed. If you serve God, you will be opposed. Doing the work of the Lord, it brings opposition. And let me tell you today, this is true more than ever. I don't know if you realize this, um, but back in the day, uh, Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ, followers of God, we were seen as the good guys. Christians were really appreciated and welcomed in society because after all, Christians were the ones that established hospitals and schools and charities in society. They helped build a foundation that was very appreciated and did much good. And Christians were seen as the good guys. But time moved on, and what actually happened was that Christians uh, became sort of neutral in the middle ground. There was a bit of a postmodern movement where Christians were seen as, you know, they'll there, they, you believe your thing, that's right, but I don't really want to believe that, I'll believe my thing, but we'll leave each other alone, that's okay, we can coexist together. We sort of became neutral. But that's not where we are anymore. We've actually moved on here. And Christians, I don't know if you've noticed, but Christians, increasingly more and more, we're seen as the bad guys, aren't we? We're seen as the bad guys. You know, when you turn on the news and there's a news article on Christians, if it's ever there, what's the tone of it? Nine times out of ten is negative. It's trying to bring Christians down. Their biblical views and values are seen as outdated, bigoted, hateful, particularly when it comes to sexuality or gender, anything, what God thinks about that, what we think about that, we are slammed for. Our very existence is seen as a threat. There's a moral, we're morally seen as evil in the way that we think and believe. And this is getting worse day by day. For our two brothers being baptized today, Clement and Daniel, uh, I want to remind you that this is what you're signing up for as well. Opposition. Opposition. Not just these brothers, but all of us here who follow Jesus Christ. It will be hard to serve God. The Christian life will be hard. But in the face of opposition, let me tell you, you can stand firm. You can. And look at how Nehemiah encourages the Jews to stand firm. Nehemiah 4, verse 14. <clears throat> After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Here's the call to the people. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not because you are strong, but why? Because your God is strong. Your God is strong. There's the words. Your God is great and awesome. And this isn't just awesome like a teenager. You go, oh, that's awesome. This is awe-inspiring. Fall down your face. Wow. This is overwhelming how glorious and marvelous and wonderful and mighty God is. Our God is great and awesome. That's the reason Nehemiah gives to the people to keep going. That's the reason. Don't be afraid. Because your God is great and awesome, fight. Fight. Fight for your families. Fight for your homes. You know what happened? This is a picture of the city. It's not a small city, is it, that they rebuilt, Jerusalem, in ancient times. And you know what happened in just 52 days, under constant threat of being killed, constantly. God's people finished the walls. They finished the walls. They rebuilt the gates. They secured the cities. They stood firm. They overcame opposition. Not because they're strong, but because their God is strong. Not because they lent on their own strength, but because they lent and depended on God, who is great and awesome. And this is the very same God who promises to keep us safe as well, no matter the opposition. But our final point, our unshakable home. Friends, God's got work for us to do. The Jews were called to build the city of Jerusalem. We are called to build the kingdom of God to bring as many as we can to know Jesus, our King. This is our mission here at CPE Church, to build the kingdom. And we both face opposition for this work. That's that's what's the same between us and the Jews back then. Because it's God's work. And whenever you do God's work, people will be up against you. We both face opposition, but here's the difference between us and them. Let me tell you. Jerusalem, what the Jews were building, it didn't last. It never reached the glories that it was supposed to. It didn't last, it was temporary, but the heavenly kingdom that we're building, this is something that lasts forever. This is eternal. And let me tell you why that brings us some comfort and hope. Our hope in the face of opposition is not that times will be fun, that the Christian life means health, wealth, and prosperity, and you'll never suffer ever again, that everything will be easy and enjoyable. That is not our hope, not at all. What we hope is something better than what the world can offer us. We have the hope of a heavenly home. The kingdom of God that we are building, we are also belonging to. This is our home. Our, our great and awesome God, he says this, I'm preparing a room for you in heaven. And because he is the one doing that, we have such great security, such great assurance. We have a hope of a heavenly home, the kingdom of God that will never, ever, ever perish That will never be shaken, no matter how bad the suffering, no matter how terrible the opposition. This is what we have. This is our hope. Hebrews 12, 28 puts it like this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Friends, this is our hope. No matter what happens to us here, no matter what they do to our bodies, no matter what they say about us, we have a heavenly home that will never, ever perish. And this home is secured for us because of Jesus Christ, our King, the God, our God, who is great and awesome. Many centuries after Nehemiah lived, our great and awesome God humbled himself 
and came into our world as the man Jesus Christ. And if you want to talk about opposition, Jesus was opposed more than anyone in this whole world ever was. <clears throat> Excuse me. As he did the work of the Father, people trash-talked him, they spat on him, they ridiculed him, they beat him, they opposed him at every turn, they even nailed him to a cross. But friends, in the moment of greatest opposition came the greatest victory. Because when Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened? He paid for the sins of the world. He paid for the sins of the world. And when he, he rose from the dead three days later, he defeated death and he brought new life, eternal life. He showed that he is the king, which means this, that we can be forgiven of every single wrong thing that we've ever done or thought. We can come close to God and call him our father now because our sins are wiped clean. And we have a place secured for us in heaven. We have a place secured for us in heaven that will never, ever, ever perish. This is our hope if we come to Jesus. Because friends, remember, our God is great and awesome and what he promises will come true. This hope we have is the hope that our baptism candidates are declaring today, Daniel and Clement. They're declaring the hope that they have, the hope of Jesus Christ that wins them an eternal home, an unshakable heavenly home. You might be here today and you need some hope. You're facing some difficulties in your life, perhaps opposition, the workplace, in your uni, your school, maybe even in your own home, you're facing opposition. And I can't guarantee you much. Right? I can't guarantee you that things are going to get better. I'm, I can't stand here and say, it, it will be okay and that everything will be fine. I can't promise you that your marriage will be perfect or that your career will be amazing or that all your relationships will be lovely and peaceful without conflict. I can't promise you that, but what I can guarantee you is that you can have a heavenly home that will last for eternity because Jesus offers that to you. That's the one thing in this life that I'm sure about and that's the one thing in this life that will give us true hope. There's nothing more than we would love for you to be with us in heaven on that final day. If you'd like to find out more, please fill out one of those connect cards that you got from the host team yeah, and drop it off at the letterbox at the door. We'd love to be able to help you. Friends, the hope of Jesus is the only hope we have in the face of opposition, but what a great hope it is. As we finish, let me finish with this verse from Jesus Christ himself, one of my favorite verses, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that this world is not something that we cannot overcome, but because you have defeated sin, you have defeated death on the cross, you have risen again, you give us new life, we have hope, hope that's beyond this world, the hope of a heavenly home, the hope of a kingdom that will never perish, the hope of security, assurance, comfort, no more suffering because of what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you that will never be shaken and we declare or honour, glory and praise to you because of this. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now friends, this is what you've been waiting for. This is why you're really here. You come, we come to a time of service where we get to hear about this hope in the lives of our brothers, yeah, Daniel and Clement. So 
I didn't tell you who's going to go. I'm going to invite Clement. Please give Clement a warm, a warm hand. <laughs>